From Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, hear now the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The sermon's called The Angry Gut. And uh, someone pointed out, it's an interesting day to have that when we're having soup and chili cook-off. <laughs> Sometimes, though, it seems to me that people are so angry these days, everywhere you go. Some people rightfully so, but others, it just seems like they enjoy being angry all the time. It's made it difficult to have any conversation because you just don't know what's going to set somebody off. Coke or Pepsi? Chevy or Ford? Salty or sweet? Sometimes the smallest differences of taste or opinion get people so angry. It used to be, at least in my experience, that we all just seemed to understood that people were different and had different tastes and different opinions and, yes, even different political leanings. And we just accepted the fact and we went on with life. But that person with a different perspective didn't have to become our arch nemesis just because we disagreed on something. Now, if you don't agree on something, then the other person automatically becomes the bad guy, the enemy, the hated villain who must be opposed in all things. It makes it difficult to find common ground or compromise for the greater good. Some people have a very short fuse. They immediately go to the emotion of anger. Instead of asking questions for more information or understanding, they go to anger. Instead of calmly explaining their own point of view, they go to anger. Instead of agreeing to disagree, they go to anger. It makes me wonder if anger has taken up residence in that person's heart and is controlling everything that person says and and does, pulling the strings for that person, because it's always anger all the time. When nurtured in a person's soul, anger tends to take on a life of its own, and the person's personality takes on a decidedly different character with an angry disposition all of the time. And I know you know people like this. You're thinking of them right now. They're always angry. I'll have to be careful with this sermon, though, because simply getting angry or feeling the emotion of anger is not the evil that we're being called to avoid here in this passage. Simply having the very human emotion of anger is is not evil, it's not wrong, it's just being human. 
You'll not want to pretend that you never get angry. But when I look around, it seems almost like anger is the primary emotion for so many people. And not just having the emotion of anger, but feeling like it's one's duty to express their anger with everybody who's around them no matter what. I've got a right to be angry and I'm going to tell everybody. Regardless of reason or logic or common sense or, or simple Christian charity. It's certainly one thing to be passionate about a cause and yet another thing to resort to what the catechism calls belittling, insulting, hating my neighbor with my words and my thoughts and looks and gestures and actions. We use the phrase, don't we, if looks could kill, right? You know what that look looks like? Who's my neighbor? Well, that would include the person who voted the other way in the election. That would include the person who has different opinions than you do, no matter what the subject matter. And when I look around me these days, what I see and hear are people not listening to each other, not giving the other person the benefit of the doubt. People quick to take offense and to go on the attack immediately, because they immediately go to the emotion of anger. What I see are people who are very reactive, or even one word triggers an automatic judgment and disdain for that other person. People misrepresent each other's points of view and make personal attacks on, on superficial subjects even. People have even forgotten how to love their lovable neighbors, let alone loving their enemies. The lack of civility and mutual respect is really disheartening. I know I've preached on this section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount before here, but it bears repeating, I think, in our time. Would that all of our hearts be formed to be meek and humble, merciful, pure, peacemaking, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness according to Jesus' Beatitudes. No, it's not wrong to feel the emotion of anger on occasion, but there is a type of anger that is not good, not healthy, and not beneficial for anyone. That's the type of anger where a short circuit to anger becomes fused, becomes hardwired in a person's soul so that anger becomes who they are now. Oh, he's just an angry person, somebody might say. Anger has become considered one of the seven deadly sins for a reason. Not that one should never feel anger, but that one should deal with their anger, own their anger, and deal with it in a timely manner before it starts to sleep on the sofa and ordering you to bring it a beverage. Well, this morning Jesus takes to heart the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. For God's concern is not that people merely abstain from taking a life, murder, but that God is concerned about the hard attitude that may or may not lead to physical violence and murder, but always leads to a murder of relationships, the killing of a relationship, a killing of a friendship, and the killing of community cohesion, a spiritual murder of sorts that strips away a person's value as an image bearer of God. So first this morning... Let's talk about the danger of anger. The danger of anger. Anger is a natural human emotion that can and often does lead to violence or murder. 
But Jesus is literally saying here in Matthew chapter 5 is that anger leads to name-calling. Anger leads to name-calling. And for God, name-calling is serious business. We might not think of it today. Name-calling is just as bad as murder. For name-calling is stripping away a person's identity. It's giving an identity, usually a very negative one, an offensive one, a subhuman identity to someone else. Idiot, blockhead, stupid, fool. Just some tame examples of what we hear today. When you call someone a name, you're trying to rename that person to re-identify them, to recreate that person in the negative image that you have in your mind for them. And once you give somebody a subhuman name, it's not a big leap to start treating them that way. Subhuman. Hence God's concern about what unchecked and unresolved anger can possibly do in a person. It starts to come out. It starts to come out of our mouths in name-calling. And then it starts to come out in our actions. Hate and name-calling start a person down a very dangerous road. Have you ever heard of the term angry gut? Angry gut. Many refer to irritable bowel syndrome, IBS, as having an angry gut. But as the Harvard Health Publishing article I read this week pointed out, the brain has a direct effect on the stomach and the intestines. Ongoing emotional disturbances, the article goes on to say, like anger or depression or stress or anxiety can impact our stomachs and how our stomachs and our bowels operate. We often say that we have butterflies in our stomach, right, when we're nervous. Or if somebody gives us some bad news, we say that felt like a punch in the gut. Why? Because that's where we feel it, right? We feel our emotions so strongly in our gut, If we're really nervous, we can become constipated, or some people have diarrhea. Chronic anger can have similar effects on our stomachs and our bowels. Some psychologists have pointed out the emotional impact our state of mind can have on the rest of our body. Your angry gut may be related to an unhealthy emotional state of being, and that might be being angry all the time. I mean, you've put on a smiley face for so many years that you don't think you're angry, but you really are. Holding on to an anger or a grudge of some kind. And you have been for years. And it's coming out. It's showing itself physically. Passages like the one we read from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' words from the Sermon on the Mount, are often referred to as antithesis statements of Jesus. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, Jesus begins in verse 21, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders is subject to judgment. Okay, that's the law, and that's what you learned in Sunday school. And and here's the antithesis, verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, Jesus is deepening and broadening the law given through Moses. He's saying that his interpretation has authority, even a greater authority than Moses or any of the scribes and Pharisees of his day. Hear how radical this would have sounded to his early Jewish disciples. Even before he finishes the sentence, he's shocking his audience. You have heard that it it was said of Moses so long ago, but I tell you, take it to the next level. Take it deeper. Take it to the heart. Who's this man who can reinterpret the law? What gall? 
But I tell you, Jesus says, that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister is subject to judgment. What? A person is held accountable for their thoughts and attitudes? Yes, that's the revolutionary nature of the kingdom and kingdom ethics. That's taking the commandment to the next level. That's taking the commandment to the heart. Watch what you do with your anger, even inside your own thoughts and attitudes, because eventually it starts to form and shape your heart that starts to come out in your actions and your words. Be careful that it doesn't, anger doesn't control you and start pulling the strings in your life. Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, God said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, then sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. What what kind of image is that? It's like of a lion, right? Crouching at your front door, just waiting for it to open, for an open opportunity to come in and pounce. Sin is crouching at your front door. Cain, you must rule over it. Not something I can do for you, or I'm going to do for you. You must rule over it, Cain. You must do something about your anger. It's getting out of control. Well, the Heidelberg Catechism picks up on this and how we should watch our attitudes regarding anger when it says, I am not to belittle insult, hate, or kill my neighbor, not by my thoughts, my words, my look or gesture, and certainly not by my actual deeds. And I'm not to be a party to this in others. Oh, I didn't do it, but you were with the guys who were doing it. Rather, I'm to put away all desire for revenge. And Lord's Day 40 goes on to say, but by forbidding murder, God teaches that he hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger vindictiveness. In God's sight, all such are murder. There's a type of anger that leads down a dangerous path because these attitudes are shaping our hearts, forming our attitudes, and they're coming out of our mouths and our actions and our looks and our gestures toward other people. But Jesus doesn't say that anger is bad in and of itself. He doesn't say that anyone who gets angry every once in a while is subject to judgment. He says anyone who is angry with his brother or sister. The word anger there in the original Greek is a participle representing an ongoing sense here. It's a settled or lasting sort of anger that's within a person, an inner feeling of anger that that grows slowly and maybe leads to revenge. It's the sort of anger that's present when someone holds on to a grudge against someone. It it grows like black mold in the basement of our souls. And in time, the person with whom we are angry becomes the enemy, the fool, someone not to be trusted, someone to be avoided, maybe someone that it's okay to hurt because I'm justified in my anger. That someone is cut off emotionally and physically from relationship and from community. And once a person is cut off, it becomes easier to treat them in subhuman ways, like an animal. The danger of anger not resolved is that over time, anger can spawn hatred, which spawns revenge, which spawns murder. So for Jesus, the intent of the law is not merely to avoid homicide, killing someone, 
But there's a positive side to that commandment too, isn't there? To protect life, to nurture relationships, to make amends when you do find yourself angry with someone, to leave problems unresolved and anger undealt with is to allow sin to continue crouching at your door and destroy relationships and erode community. Unresolved anger is like an ulcer in the angry gut, festering and spewing negative emotions and thoughts and words, and it comes out when we least expect it. Right, busy and frustrated parents? It comes out sometimes when we least expect it. So next, Jesus talks about the priority of relationship when we're dealing with our anger. The priority of relationship. Many people place a high priority on being right all of the time. There are many who make it a priority to demonstrate just how right they are to everyone they meet. Uh, Others make it a priority to express themselves in their angry with no consideration of who's around them or what effects it might have. It's, It's a priority of some to just do what they want, push their agenda, stand their ground, regardless of what's going on with the relationship. And I think these words of Jesus are meant to have us focus on, to pay attention to, to make a priority of our relationships with our neighbors. Tend to the relationship, and you'll want to take care of that anger in a timely manner, right? You don't want to be angry with someone forever. It's hard to live with somebody if you're angry with them all the time. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives these two illustrations, two situations here. The first is about when your brother or sister has something against you. That is, when you wronged a fellow believer or a close neighbor or a friend or a family member. Then when you come to worship and realize this, that you've wronged this person, Jesus teaches us in verse 23, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Even worship must wait. Somehow our relationship with God is impacted by our relationship with other human beings. If we've offended someone and have not, as far as it depends on us, attempted to make things right and to live at peace with that person, then we ought to suspend worship even, Jesus says, and do what we need to do to go to that person, to try to make things right. Now, you can't control that person. You can't control how they're going to react or if they're going to be welcoming to this But as far as it depends on you, go and try to make amends, try to make things right. The need to resolve and overcome the effects of anger is urgent. It's dangerous to wait too long and to let anger fester and stew inside of us. Don't pretend that all is right and then go worship God with the roots of murder growing in our hearts. hearts. Even worship must wait. Make a right relationship with other fellow brothers and sisters a priority. Tend to the relationship. Try to make things right if it's possible. Don't nurse a grudge. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says, When you are angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Notice, again, this doesn't say we should never get angry, or it's sinful when we do get angry. When you are angry, in other words, it's expecting that sometime you're going to get angry, like we're human beings. When you get angry, in your anger, do not sin. Ephesians chapter 4. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That only says 
deal with your anger in a timely manner. When you make relationships a priority, you want to settle matters quickly. You want to make amends. You want to make things right again as far as you can. You know, say the words out loud. I'm sorry. I was wrong. (gasps) Can we say that to each other? Can we admit that we were wrong? I'm sorry I was wrong. And to say the words back, I forgive you. Christians should be pretty good at this. Make the relationship a priority, not your need to be right all the time or to convert the other person to your point of view. Change your definition of success for a conversation from winning an argument to hearing each other out in love and patience and grace. I think this would go a long way in keeping the peace today. And the third important element of these words from Jesus this morning, again, is focusing on the urgency, the urgency of making up. The second example Jesus gives has the sense that you have offended a Gentile or a non-believer, someone who's not your brother and sister, but who is an adversary. Again, the point is urgency to resolve the conflict. Make nice with your enemy who's taking you to court. In other words, even while you're walking to the courthouse, Attempt reconciliation. This goes beyond the letter of the law and who's right or who's wrong in the actual case. Again, the relationship is important. Try to turn that adversarial relationship into a friendship even. If you don't, you may end up paying a high cost. Jesus says your adversary will end up taking you to the judge, will hand you over to the officer, will put you in prison, and you'll stay there until you'll pay every last penny. You might be right all day long, but you'll be right in a prison of your own making if you don't even try to reconcile before better to try to settle to come to an agreement to make agreeable terms tend to the relationship in other words to negotiate and deal with your complaint or hostility against someone and do it quickly there's urgency in doing these things because the longer unresolved anger stews it just gets worse and worse it's not going to get better with time It's not going to just go away on its own, especially if you have to continue to live with or near that person. Right, husbands and wives? If you have to live with somebody you're angry with? Right, roommates, church members? How do you live with somebody who's offended you, at least in in your mind, in your heart? Be quick about coming to terms and mending the relationship. Why? Because it's not enough just to refrain from killing your neighbor. That commandment about murder, that's talking about a hard attitude too, the roots of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. But the positive side of the commandment too, you shall not murder, the catechism picks up on this as well in in question and answer 107, where it says, by condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. To be patient and peace-loving, gentle, merciful, friendly to them. To protect them from harm as much as we can and to do good even to our enemies. So instead of murder, instead of hatred, instead of envy and and anger and being vindictive, instead of these things, we love our neighbors. We're patient with them. Peace-loving, gentle and merciful and kind. Is that even possible? Could we live this way with our political enemies too? Could we be kind to the person with whom we disagree? Can we engage in a conversation without murdering someone in our hearts or calling them hurtful names or twisting their words and falsely maligning their character? 
hope so. The disciple of Jesus must do better at this. The follower of Jesus must do better at this. And I think that with these words of Jesus, Christians should be leading the way in our very contentious environment. There should be an urgency to make up and an urgency to be peacemakers in our world that desperately needs peace, especially when we disagree with each other. Remember the words of Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 15, verse 1. It doesn't say we're all going to automatically agree with each other. But a gentle answer turns away wrath. We can certainly speak the truth and still, as the Catechism says, be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, friendly, protect from harm, do good even to our enemies. We can be careful how we speak. And choose our words well if we exercise the fruit of the Spirit. There are ways to resolve anger and to give our anger healthy outlets. And maybe you need to talk to a counselor about that if this is something that you really struggle with. But let us be aware of the danger of anger unresolved. Let us prioritize relationships and relationship restitution, restoration. And let us feel the urgency to make things right again so that anger doesn't fester in our souls or our guts. Jesus exhorts us this morning to settle matters quickly and not allow our anger to destroy us or to destroy others. So as we come to the table this morning and remember and believe the good news of reconciliation and the peace and the forgiveness that Jesus won for us on the cross, let us also examine our own relationships, our friendships, our family relations. Who do we need to go to? Who do we need to talk to? What, what hard conversation needs to be made where you need to express this anger to somebody? As we have been forgiven, we're called to forgive others. As we have been loved, when we were enemies of God, we are called to love our enemies. We partake of the elements, not just as individuals, but as a community, as the body of Christ, as a family of faith. That's not perfect. It doesn't always get things right. Sometimes words are spoken that shouldn't have, and we need to come to each other and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Will you forgive me? need to practice those words. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I forgive you. May God grant his grace and peace through his son Jesus as we learn to live more fully in the image of God. Would you pray with me? God of peace, we pray that you would be our peace today. When the sometimes strong and powerful emotion of anger seems to be overtaking us, grant us wisdom and healthy outlets that we may not sin when we're angry. Forgive us when our angry words and actions have hurt others, Lord. And forgive us for the times when we have squelched that righteous and holy anger you intended to use for good in the world. Help us, one and all, to see every person we meet as your image bearer, even as we partake of the elements of communion together this morning. Teach us how to love, to serve one another. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.